Welcome to the Rock of Grace Warren podcast. I want to thank you for joining us. I hope this message inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Amen. So listen, uh, we're going to take up our tithes and offering this morning. And uh, we just want to, again, say thank you so much for your generosity. Uh, we're just so honored that you give uh, into the kingdom of God and that you give to help uh, just move the ministry forward in the city of Warren. So uh, you can see on the screen, there's three ways you can give. Um, like I say all the time, we don't care how you give. We just want to say thank you for giving. Uh, but we're going to pray, and then we are going to get into our conversation this morning. Father, we love you today, and we thank you for the generosity of your people. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you go before us, that, Lord, you are uh, just a God who helps us, uh, Lord, with our finances, that, Lord, you're a God that blesses, that you're a God that returns, Lord, what we invest. Lord, and you have far more resources than we do. So, Lord, as we just give in portion, Lord, you return in whole. So we love you today, and we honor you. Lord, bless this offering that it would further your kingdom. In Jesus' name, we said amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Man, I am still reeling from uh, last week's uh, birthday celebration. Uh, we had just an incredible time celebrating one year as a campus here in the city of Warren. Amen. Uh, and just... Just the incredible presence of God, the energy in the room, uh, just the salvations that took place, and just uh, getting to be together after a, a few weeks off was so uh, incredible. So thank you all so much for being a part of this campus and just connecting to it and, and what we're doing in the city. But this morning, we are going to dive headfirst into a series that we are calling Questions for God. How many of you have ever had any questions for God before? Right? I think at one point or another, we've had some questions for God. And the cool thing is, is God's cool with our questions. He wants to respond to us. He wants to uh, help us sort of fill in the blanks with what we're thinking through, what we're dealing with, what we're navigating. He wants us uh, to have a working understanding, right, of some of the things at times that kind of plague us and it leaves us kind of scratching our heads. And we can find most of the answers for the things we need through his word. And so for the next few weeks through the rest of January, we're going to be doing this series called Questions for God. Now, being that it's only a uh, three-week series, um, we're going to kind of dive headfirst into this. So there's no easing into the series. There's no like easy question like, God, how tall are you, right? Like, I think Jesus was probably my height and my build, right? Some of you were like, I don't know. He probably didn't eat as much as you. He didn't celebrate the holidays quite as hard, right? But so the question that we are going to uh, hope to tackle this morning is probably one that at some point we've thought about. Uh, I know I have. Um, and if you haven't, I promise you there will come a time in your life where you will go through something and you will have to grapple with the tension that a question like this produces. And the question on the table for us to dive into this morning is, why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? Uh, it can kind of be summed up in other ways. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do the things I go through cause me pain? If God is so loving, why would he permit such things to happen in my life? No matter how you right, slice it, we all sort of arrive at the same point. And that's why is there something like suffering in our life, right? And so when thinking through this question over the last several weeks as I've just been trying to wrap my brain around this and condense 
the, the thoughts and the information into about a 35-minute message because that's all we have time for on Sunday mornings. Uh, and some of you are like, we know you preach longer than 35 minutes, and I'll tell you the truth. It's about 41 minutes, so you're right. So uh, trying to condense this down to about a 41-minute sermon um, is uh, at best challenging. And so what I'm hoping that we're going to be able to do together is kind of give a broad view um, with still being respectful of the individual things that you go through. Because if I can be honest with you this morning, the, the things that you go through, the pains, the hurts, the suffering, the ailments, the issues, the, the, the bad reports or the, the frustrations or the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one or the, the things that leave you kind of awake at night, those are all real things that you're tackling and that you're addressing in your life on a regular basis. Right? They're all things that we have to grapple with. And sometimes they're all things that we're left wondering, like, God, where are you in this situation? Right? Anybody ever been there where you've wondered, God, where are you in this situation? The promise I can tell you this morning at the beginning of this conversation that we're going to have is that he's present in everything that we go through. The Bible would not be true if it contained this phrase. Uh, or let me say, I guess I should say it this way. If this phrase wasn't a true reality, then the Bible itself would not be true. If the Bible is going to indicate that he's never left me nor forsaken me, then I have to believe that no matter what I'm experiencing in this world, no matter how good or how bad or how difficult or painful it is, that he's present in the situation, right? So let's set that in our minds this morning as we get into this conversation, because I think that will give us the proper understanding of the idea of why do we suffer? or Why is there suffering in the world? You know, we live in a world that has grown very comfortable uh, medicating everything, right? If you have any sort of pain, I promise you there is something out there that will take that pain away, regardless of the side effects of the thing you're going to take to take away the pain. Because sometimes, how many of you know the side effects of the medications that we take are sometimes far worse than the actual issue that we're dealing with, right? Right? Amen. Like, there are some things I'm like, why is the list of side effects far longer than the symptoms that I have for the issue that I'm dealing with? But nonetheless, I guess, you know, if I want to spend my life constipated, I guess I should take this medication, although that was not a problem previously. But apparently, to fix one issue, I have to now, you know, create a whole other realm of issues, right? And it's just kind of the cycle that we walk through in the world that we live in. You know, one of the first questions they ask you when you get administered, uh, admitted to the hospital is, tell me on a scale of 1 to 10, and some hospitals use smiley faces and frowny faces to help us indicate this, but they ask you the question, what is your pain level at today, right? And if you express a high enough number, then they will bring you something to help take that pain away for a moment, or not, I shouldn't say a moment, but rather for a season of time, right? And then overall, the pain eventually comes back. We might dull it. We might remove it. But over time, that medication wears off and we're left back in pain, right? But I would surmise that our pain, if allowed to be present, can give us some indications about our current state that we presently find ourselves in and maybe even some information about some future outcomes of our lives. I have no idea what that is, but it's cool. <laughs> I couldn't tell if it was like another church had some music going on out there. I don't think it was the, the police department wasn't rocking out. 
See, pain, and in this case, pain caused by suffering, listen, whether it be through loss of a loved one or a hurt that has been left undealt with or even maybe unforgiveness that produces a pain in us, indicates that there is an area of our life that needs addressing, right? Those sobering moments where we experience difficulty right, serve as indicators for us that maybe there's something that God is trying to get our attention with. Now, listen, I want you to hear me very closely. God is not authoring this suffering or this pain that you're going through, but it doesn't mean that God won't use that thing for your benefit, right? And that's what I want us to really begin to grapple with this morning, because listen, pain and suffering are real things that we experience every day due to the things that we have maybe been through, the things that we've done that have caused us hurt or hurt others, right? Or the things other people have done that have hurt us. Maybe it's the loss of a close friend, family member, spouse, loved one, child, or anything in between. Maybe it's a bad doctor's report. And listen, the list could literally go on and on, right? But if I was looking at trying to address this idea of suffering, I think the first question I would hope to uh, ask myself and begin an understanding of is where does suffering come from? Where does something like suffering come from? Because it has to have an origin. If it exists, it has to have an origin. The only thing that doesn't have to have an origin is God because in the beginning there was nothing but there was God, right? And so uh, if we're going to tackle this idea of why do we suffer, we first have to grasp the concept of where does something like suffering come from? Listen, if, it's, if suffering at times is going to be part of my life, then I think it would be very prudent for me to identify where and why suffering exists. And I love that most things can be found in God's word. Amen. I love that he gave us this beautiful manual, this book we call the Bible, which is this, this composition of all of these books together right, uh, uh, from all different periods of time written by various authors, and yet we find it no uh, substantiable contradiction. It's perfect, and it's for us that we might govern our lives in a way that best reflects Jesus. And when we look into the pages of his word, and we look to identify, okay, where does this thing called suffering come from? Then we would turn our attention this morning to Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. It says this, it says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned, right? And so we get this first indication from the New Testament that we have this idea of sin that came through the, into the world through Adam, right? Uh, And in that sin came death, now we die, right? Before Adam sinned, man was to live forever in unbroken relationship with God. They would walk in the garden, they would populate the earth, and there would be this unbroken relationship. Well, sin enters the world, and it breaks that relationship, and it separates us from God, and the consequence of that sin is death, right? And it says that in this way, death came to all people because all sin. The byproduct of death is suffering because when somebody exits our life through death, there's usually a pain that comes comes along with it to the people that are left behind, correct? Amen? 1 Corinthians, to further this thought, chapter 15, verse 21. 
echoes the same sentiment. It says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. And it begins to talk about that death came through Adam, but that resurrection came through what the New Testament would call the second Adam, which is the person of Jesus, right? Suffering exists in the world because our original parents sinned. Thanks, mom and dad. See, sometimes I don't think we comprehend that sin has far more reaching consequences than we ever imagined. I don't think when Adam and Eve bit into that fruit that they were, dis- they were told not to, that they thought that the ramifications of what they did would be far extending to every person that would ever live after them. See, sometimes when we sin, that the reach of that sin is far greater than what we even conceive with our mind. Romans chapter 8, 19 through 23. See, not only did we fall under a curse as created beings, but creation itself fell under a curse. Romans chapter 8, 19 through 23. It says, for the creation wants an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Finishing this paragraph, it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. To make a long story short from what the book of Romans chapter 8, those verses are trying to indicate to us is that not only did humanity suffer a consequence due to Adam and Eve's sinful decision, but so did creation as a whole come under a curse and it's been left to, as the Bible says, frustration. It's waiting for there to be a return to how things were previous or prior to man's sin. So we get this idea that suffering or death or pain came through Adam and Eve in the garden when sin entered the world. The consequences of sin, like I said a moment ago, are far more reaching than they ever could have imagined and that we ever would have imagined. Listen, the physical world was put under a curse. The world, the physical world that is alive was made subject to this curse. And so that leaves us to grapple with the understanding that the world we live in is fallen and it's broken. It's surrounded by fallen, broken people who act at times in a fallen and broken way, right? How many of you have ever had a moment where you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that or done that, right? You could be honest this morning, and if you're not raising your hand, it's because you're lying, 
Amen. I'm just being, I'm just telling you the truth. We've all had those moments where we're like, oh my goodness, I wish I had a time machine and I could go back and do some things differently because I really have made a fool of myself or I've really stepped in it or I can't believe I said that or I can't believe I did that. That's not who I am. That's not in my character. That's not in my personality. I'm better than that or I'm this or that or anything else in between, right? We've all been there at some place. Why? Because sometimes we live, well, all the time, let me say it this way, all the time we live in a fallen, broken world, and sometimes we participate in a fallen and broken way because we are under a curse due to the sin of our first parents. And so we have these out-of-character, out-of-Jesus-like moments where we're like, oh, I should not have left my horn on for five minutes while I tailed your car because you cut me off in traffic. I'm not saying I've ever done that. And if you ask me, I'll tell you the truth. Yes, no, <laughs> not five minutes. That just seems like a really long time. And in the day and age we live in, I don't feel like, I feel like somebody would run me off the road. But I will tell you, it's been a prolonged period of time before. I used to have a little bit of road rage. Not anymore, though. I'm safe to drive with, I promise. See, the aim of our Christian experience is to become reflections of Christ to be a better representation to the world than what it has come to know. The challenge is to have more Christ-centered moments, especially in dealing with the downs of life, than we have worldly fallen moments. Right? So suffering, pain exists because Adam and Eve sinned, and the world we live in is under a curse. It's a broken place. It's natural predisposition is to sin and our natural predisposition is to do wrong that's why we have to be transformed that's why we have to have our minds renewed that's why the bible literally says in in the epistles that we are to put on christ just like you got dressed this morning everybody showed up in some type of an outfit thank you for that right we're not one of those churches I don't know of any in the Northeast that is like that. It's very cold out there. Probably down south you can find a church like that, but we are not one of them. Okay, so you all came clothed this morning, which means you had to make a decision about what to wear. Right? You had to look in your closet or open the drawer. What color are my socks? Hopefully, you know, we got some underwear on, we got some socks on, we got some pants on, or skirt or dress or whatever. Nobody's wearing shorts in here this morning, I don't think. Uh, if you are, power to you. I get cold, right? No amount of leg hair is going to keep that warm. You got some kind of shirt on this morning. You made a conscious decision on what to wear, right? The same is true every single morning when you got to bet about what kind of person you want to be to the world. I'm supposed to put on Christ. So just like you decided this matched with this, and this looked good, and you did your hair, and you put the right clothes on, and you got your shoes on, and you made those decisions. The same is true every morning when you get out of bed. Today I'm putting on Christ. Today I'm going to be a reflection to the world. That no matter how down my life has presented itself to be. The reflection that the world is going to see is a Jesus that is alive in me. Who is an overcoming God. And because that he is an overcoming God. And that he lives on the inside of me. I can do greater things because of that. I've chosen to put on Christ. And in my wearing of Christ, I'm a reflection of his goodness to the world. Does that make sense this morning? You can talk back in here. It's a Pentecostal church. And the better you do it, the more likely you are to get out of here on time. 
All right, wow. I just need two people. I feel good now. Do I feel good? Let's turn around. I put on Christ. I'm, even if I have no clothes on, I got Christ on. That's a weird picture. Don't picture that. <laughs> so I'm putting on Christ in my everyday life. And sometimes we have to do that in spite of what we feel on the inside. And I don't want to diminish what you've walked through, what you maybe you are walking through, because it's a real thing. The things of this world, the pains that we go through, the loss, the hurts, they're all real things. I'm not taking away from that. But I'm trying to illustrate to us that there might be a better option. Because just like we have the opportunity to put on Christ, we also have the opportunity to put on the world or our feelings or our emotions. And we can very easily, and I've done this myself, we can give ourselves every excuse under the sun why life has to stay and remain a certain way why it can't be any better, why the sun can't shine again, and why the darkness is always going to win. If we think hard enough, we can come up with the reasons why and the justifications to facilitate the way we want to live and the mindset we want to carry. But I want to tell you this morning that putting on Christ is a better reflection to the world, but it's also a healing aspect for your life. Because when you put on Christ, you invite the work of the Holy Spirit to come in. And that Holy Spirit is so much better at healing us than we are ourselves. And what he'll do is when we choose to put on Christ and we choose to walk in the newness, in the renewing mind that is brought about by the Holy Spirit, he looks at us and says, this darkness can't remain here because I'm on the inside of you. You've chosen to wear me today and that's not going to follow me because I'm not going to cohabitate with the darkness. I'm going to be light in the darkness. Does that make sense this morning? So suffering pain exists because Adam and Eve sinned. The world's natural predisposition is to sin. Our natural predisposition is to do wrong. But can we all say this word together? Can you say however? There we go. See, just like he uses every, uh, see, just like God, he uses everything, including suffering. That pain in our lives And what he does is he uses it to produce something lasting, to grow us, to sharpen us, to help us be a better example of Christ, to deepen our faith, and even at times to test our character. Few of us, few people grow on top of the mountain. That's not where good growth happens. That's the fruit of growth. But the seedbed of growth, unfortunately, happens in the valley. And as we grow in the valley, we eventually reach the mountain, but we can't live on the mountain forever because that's a reality that's not sustainable for our lives. And so at times we find ourselves back in the valley for some more growth, for some more conversation, for some more training, for some more character shaping, for some opportunity to say, you know what, this this part of my life needs a little bit more refining. And so the Holy Spirit looks for something that we can identify with and connect with and say, what can I use that's in Andrew's life that he's walking through to help shape him, but at the same time still love on him in a way that draws him into a deeper relationship with me. He uses things in our life, even the pain at times, so that as we walk, He rounds us out, he shapes us, and he helps us 
be more conformed to the image of his son. Listen, the best reflection we can be to the world is to be an imitator of Jesus. Not when things are going great, but when things are difficult, painful, and hard. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus suffered? Jesus felt pain, and ultimately Jesus wept. Luke chapter 9, verse 22 says this. It says, uh, and this is Jesus talking. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day and be raised back, or he must be killed, rather, and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus felt pain. When Jesus was informed that Lazarus, his friend, had died, it says in John chapter 11, verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. There was a real tangible sense that happened in the life of Jesus where he felt a loss and he felt the weight of, of, of Mary and Martha and what they had experienced from a place of loss. And he wore that on him to the place where he became emotional about it. He felt the loss of a loved one, someone who had meant so much to him, a close friend, someone he had spent hours with. Jesus felt that pain. Jesus cried. He was overcome with emotion. Jesus had a natural experience. Can I tell you that that's good news for us? That's good news for us. We'll read Hebrews 4.15 in a minute. The reason that's good news for you and I is because that makes Jesus relatable to us. The most dangerous thing to, in, in, when it, as it pertains to serving a God is one a God that you cannot relate to or seems so high and mighty that he, he could never understand what you're dealing with. But the fact that our God, the God of the Bible, the only true and living God, has a relatable element to him, gives him an empathy that helps you and I connect to him in a way that no other God could ever be. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says this. It says, for we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are and yet did not sin. Empathy is a divine quality. By definition, empathy is the physiological identification with or vicarious experiencing of the emotions, thoughts, or attitudes of another. It is also the imaginative ascribing to an object as a natural object or work of art, feelings or attitudes present in oneself. If I could just simplify all of that, Empathy is one's ability to understand what someone else is going through and to put yourself in their shoes. It's allowing yourself to feel what someone else might be walking through. And Jesus exemplified empathy. When Lazarus laid in that grave and Mary and Martha thought all hope was lost, Jesus felt what they were experiencing. Even though Jesus knew that there was coming a time where uh, just a few days later where he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus understands what you're walking through? He gets it because he's been through it. That's what makes him relatable. And listen, as we draw close uh, to an end in our conversation, I want to push uh, our perspective to a higher place this morning. If we look at our lives as a short mark on the timeline that is eternity, then what we would discover is that the things that we go through 
although painful in the moment, are a blip on the radar. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says this. It says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. There is something being produced in spite of the things that we go through. Doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean it wasn't painful. It just means that God's bringing something forth out of that pain. Listen, we weren't made for this world. In fact, this world is but a blip on the radar. Heaven is our home. I want to read you a story from the famous preacher D.L. Moody. He told this story about a Christian woman who was always this bright and cheerful and optimistic person, even though she was confined to her room because of illness. She lived in an attic apartment on the fifth floor of an old rundown building. The story would go on to say that a friend decided to visit her one day and brought along another woman, a person of great wealth. Since there was no elevator, the two ladies began the long climb upward. When they reached the second floor, the well-to-do woman commented, What a dark and filthy place. Her friend replied, It's better higher up. When they arrived at the third floor landing, the remark was made, Things look even worse here. Again, the reply, It's better higher up. The two women finally reached the attic level where they found the bedridden saint of God. A smile on her face radiated the joy that filled her heart. Although the room was clean and flowers were on the windowsill, the wealthy visitor could not get over the stark surroundings surroundings in which this woman lived. She blurted out, It must be very difficult for you to be here like this. Without a moment's hesitation, the shut-in responded, It's better higher up. See, this woman was not looking at the temporal things. With the eye of faith fixed on the eternal, she had found the secret of true satisfaction and contentment. It's better higher up. See, sometimes things in life are a matter of perspective. Sometimes it's about changing the viewpoint that we allow ourselves to see things with. And for this bedridden woman in this story, One would look at it and say, you really don't have much to live for. You're bedridden. You're on the fifth floor of an attic. The surroundings in which you find yourself are terrible. And yet, what is it about you that contains so much joy and excitement? She understood that this momentary thing that she was going through, although painful, although she probably would have uh, given it up if she could, although she probably never wanted to be in this position in the first place, she understood that it was a blip on the timeline of eternity and that heaven was where she belonged. I want to give you three quick things this morning. Listen, when we suffer, we acknowledge our need for heaven. When we suffer, we acknowledge our need for heaven. Listen, suffering, pain, grief, what it does is it helps us realize that we were all made for a perfect place, a place with no pain or sorrow. I'm reminded of what it says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. 
The second thing I want to tell you this morning is when we suffer, Jesus grieves with us from heaven. Listen, the picture that we find in the book of Revelation from Jesus is that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. In fact, the Bible says that he makes continual intercession for us. The Bible indicates that he silences the enemy in our behalf and he empathizes with what we are going through. So some from his perfect place in eternity in heaven, he still feels the things that we walk through on this earth and he is faithful to remain by our side as we go through them. So he holds them and he makes intercession or he prays on our behalf to God the Father through what we are dealing with. Amen? Number three this morning. There we go. When we suffer, we find our eternal hope is heaven. I love what it says in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, uh, my father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have not told you? He says that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He would conclude in verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From, uh, my father as well. from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Listen, eternity is our goal, it's our destination, it's our hope, it's our destiny as believers of Christ. But maybe you're sitting here this morning as Elena and Nolan come. And you're saying to yourself, you know what, eternity with Jesus is great, and I can look forward to that. But right now, this moment in my life hurts. It's painful. How can I deal with that? Because I don't want us just to be so heavenly minded that we lose sight of the earthly uh, realm that we find ourselves in. I want to give you for a moment just five quick thoughts. I'm not gonna, they're not going to be on the screen for you. I just want you to hear them. The first thing I would tell somebody to do is first you give it to Jesus. The second thing is you trust in faith that he takes it from you. The third thing is that you cling to his word and his people. Isolation is a tool the enemy uses to drive the nail in the pain coffin. Number four is you refuse to believe the lies the enemy would tell you. And number five is you refuse to take your eyes off Jesus. There is no timeline for dealing with pain and suffering. Everybody progresses in their own way. That's just the reality of it because everybody's experience is unique. It's specific to them, right? There is no timeline for it. But what I can tell you this morning is as you walk through the ups and downs of life, there are some universal things that need to happen in each person's life. See, in those moments, you can either cling to or you can run away, right? In those moments, you can reflect on what's true or you can be influenced by a world that wants to lie. You can either isolate or you can gravitate towards the people of God.
You can put your hope and your faith and your trust in every vice the world could offer you to help numb and dull the pain. Or you could put your eyes on Jesus. Just like you have a choice every morning to put on Christ. We have a choice every morning how we navigate and walk through the pain and suffering. We know where it comes from. But we also have a God who is in the business of helping us heal from it. As we close this morning, I want to read to you this quick story about a man who would pen one of the most famous and classic hymns that you've probably sang at some point in your life. One of the most familiar and most recognizable hymns of all time. It's called It Is Well With My Soul. And I want to read to you how that hymn came about. There was a man by the name of Horatio G. Spafford. He was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago. And he had a lovely family. He had a wife, Anna, and they had five children. However, they were not strangers to tears and tragedy. Their young son died of pneumonia in 1871, and in that same year, much of their business was lost in the great Chicago fire. Yet, God in his mercy and kindness allowed the business to flourish once more. On November 21st, 1873, the French ocean liner, I'm going to butcher the name, but Villa du Havre, there we go, was crossing the Atlantic from the U.S. to Europe with 313 passengers on board. Among the passengers were Miss Spafford and their four daughters. Although Mr. Spafford had planned to go with his family, he found it necessary to stay in Chicago to help solve an unexpected business problem. It says that he told his wife he would join her and their children in Europe a few days later. His plan was to take another ship. About four days into the crossing of the Atlantic, the ship that they were on collided with a powerful, iron-hulled Scottish ship, the Loch Earn. Suddenly, all of those aboard were in grave danger. Anna hurriedly brought her four children to the deck. She knelt there with Annie and Margaret Lee and Bessie and Tanita and prayed that God would spare them if that would be his will, or to make them willing to endure whatever awaited them. Within approximately 12 minutes, the Villa du Havre slipped beneath the dark waters of the Atlantic, carrying with it 226 of the passengers, including the four Spafford children. A sailor rowing a small boat over the spot where the ship went down spotted a woman floating on a piece of the wreckage. It was Anna, still alive. The story would go on to say that he pulled her into the boat and they were picked up by another larger vessel, which nine days later landed them in Cardiff, Wales. From there, she wired her husband a message which began, saved alone, what shall I do? Mr. Spafford later framed that telegram and placed it in his office. Another of the ship's survivors, Pastor Weiss, later recalled Anna saying, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. Mr. Spafford booked passage on the next available ship and left to join his grieving wife. 
With the ship about four days out, the captain called Spafford to the cabin and told him they were over the place where his children went down. According to Bertha Spafford Vester, a daughter born after the tragedy, Spafford wrote, It is well with my soul while on this journey. The first verse of this famous hymn goes like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. The story concludes that Anna gave birth to three more children, one of which died at age four with pneumonia. But in August of 1881, the Spaffords moved to Jerusalem, and that is where Mr. Spafford died and is buried in that city. I tell you that story for in the best way I can illustrate that life is a lot of curveballs. And the pains and the hardships of life are guaranteed. And all of the answers that we sometimes spend our lives trying to fathom and figure out aren't always readily available this side of heaven. But here's what I can give you this morning. Just like this hymn wrote, no matter what you face, no matter what you walk through, no matter what suffering and pain you endure, can I just tell you that Jesus is right there with you? that you've never walked a moment alone, that no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what the world has thrown towards you, he's with you every step of the way because he's faithful to us. So I want to invite you this morning, I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to put the words to this song up that they're going to sing to you. And then we're going to close in prayer. I'm going to open these altars. If you need prayer this morning, if you're walking through something, if the weight of this world is just throwing itself at you, if you're struggling, if the enemy has been beating up on you and lying to you, if the pain seems like it's so insurmountable, I just want to invite you to come this morning. No questions, no judgment, no guilt. We're just going to pray together and we're going to believe that the goodness of God is going to find you at this place and he's going to love on you. Go ahead, worship team. If you enjoyed today's message, there are a couple things I would love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also help us reach others by investing today by going to give.rockofgrace.org. And thanks again for joining us on the Rock of Grace Warren podcast.